The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers, the podcast that usually takes deeper dives in order to serve up cooler takes. But today we are giving you a rapid reaction podcast on the 2019 NFL Draft or the 2013 NFL Draft, as Jim Brown put it. Uh, I've got EJ Snyder on the other line, Windy City Great Irons lead draft analyst, and we are going to go through the big stories of the NFL and some divisional stuff and then get into the Bears picks. EJ, how you doing over there? I'm on the tired side, but this is like Christmas. I'm just sitting in the middle of a whole bunch of wrapping paper. We're almost to the end of the seven rounds, and now I get to bust into the presence from all the other relatives, which is the UDFA process. So I couldn't couldn't really be having a better day. Well, we, we got some toys. I think there's some Bears fans that might be a little disappointed in the overall haul of the, of the new toys this year, but we'll get into that. Um, first, we're going to need a beverage. Uh, which is always a nice nice thing to unwrap. What do you got today? Um, I have a beer from Full Sail Brewing. I really appreciate Full Sail's offerings. They're down in Hood River, Oregon, uh, just south of Washington. And I have a fun beer called Atomizer, which is ultrasonic-infused pale ale. So they actually use um, ultrasonic waves to infuse the hops in this. Um, the slogan of this beer on the top is Talk Nerdy to Me. Uh, it's 6.6 alcohol by volume, um, a pale ale with a lot of flavor, um, and a very interesting process as to how it's made. So, um, good times and it'll go down fairly easily today. And since we're doing this midday, that's a, that's a good thing. What about you? What do you got? But why, why did they do this with the hops? Oh, why do they do it? Probably just to be fun, but the taste, the end result is actually really pretty good. Um, I bought it. Uh, you know, just for the novelty factor. Uh, I'm not sure as I don't uh, do any large scale brewing, nothing more than home brewing, why it would be preferable to use ultrasonic waves to infuse hops, but um, the end result's pretty darn tasty. All right. Well, I don't have any ultrasonic infused hops or anything, but I have what I would consider probably my go-to Iowa beer, and I had to get an Iowa beer because of the Bears' first pick in this draft, and we'll obviously we'll get into David Montgomery later. I was going to get something from Ames, but I realized as I was going beer shopping that the brewery in Ames shut down last year um, that I'm familiar with, and so I went with the West O Cocoa Stout. So it's a chocolate stout. West O is the brewery. It's up in West Okaboji, which is a beautiful natural lake up in northwest Iowa that's almost uh, over the the state line with Minnesota. I think this is a 
this is one of those beers that you can pretty much get in anywhere in Iowa. It's going to be in the stores. It's going to be on tap and it's traditional. It's uh, almost always very good. And um, I think it's one that I would recommend anybody because it's easy drinking and it can be found everywhere. So I uh, figured I'd share that with, with you and, and uh, celebration of our first pick. Yeah, sounds delicious. Let's open these things up. And I'll say as we're pouring that I appreciate all the time and effort that you put into this draft process, and it's been a lot of fun going through all this with you. I have. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that is not lost on me. I appreciate that very much. But I have great news, and I totally forgotten. It's Bears-themed. So What do you got? My wife um, heard that you had a special Bears glass that your wife bought you. Right. So you know what that means. She had a one-upper? That's right. That's right. So I now have a Walter Payton glass to drink Ooh. beer out of that has a picture of Walter on the front, his signature underneath, and on the back, Walter Payton's league records, 1 oh, through that's 10. that's cool. So uh, I will be drinking out of my new Walter Payton glass. I totally forgot to mention that. But yeah, it showed up this week, and she surprised me with it. And so it debuts on the pod today. Well, I'd say that's pretty sweet. Yep. All right, great. Well, um, we'll uh, check back on the beers once we get them going there. But uh, let's start off with the big stories. Up the top of the draft, the Cardinals do go ahead, like we talked about on the last pod, they do go ahead and draft Kyler Murray. And then they seemingly don't have a market for Josh Rosen and can't get a trade consummated and end up giving him away basically um to the the miami dolphins i would say the miami dolphins are the huge winners in this exchange and one interesting note before i get your thoughts on that is the afc east will now have sam darnold josh allen and josh rosen all top quarterbacks from last year's draft trying to take over that uh new england Patriots spot so pretty interesting infusion of quarterback talent in that division and i think the dolphins got just an amazing steal in terms of draft talent and what they owe him on the contract for the next three years what do you think yeah they're in that sweet spot in the modern nfl where you get a young quarterback uh in a cost-controlled situation who can play and you get a window you've got you know in rosen's case about three or four years because the well let's see does the fifth year option fifth year option transfers over right because he was a first round pick I would think so. I, yeah, I, can't, I think it I can't does. I don't know the, the caponomics, caponomics of that. But uh, if they do, they've got four full years to try and build a team around Josh Rosen if he's the guy. Um, and that is a very good position to be in in the modern NFL. The, the Rams did it. The Bears are looking to do it. Um, the Chiefs, unfortunately, are looking to do it as well. They've already got a near MVP or MVP quality player there. So it's where you want to be. And the Dolphins, without that, are kind of hanging out in space. They're not going to get a great quarterback out of this draft. Um, they're going to basically kind of, people are saying, tank for Tua or whoever's going to come up in you know the 2020 draft. You never can quite tell. There's looks like there's some good quarterbacks coming out next year, but you're never sure about that. So, yeah, without that, they're kind of out on a ledge with no rope. And all of a sudden, because Arizona switches gears and goes with Kyler Murray, which I don't really think is a bad move overall, um, now 
Miami gets a get-out-of-jail-free card, kind of, and it's really good for them. And what they paid, like you said, is ridiculous. I think they paid 60-something overall, 62 overall or something. That's that's just robbery. Well, and not only that, but the Cardinals have to eat the signing bonus. And so yep. it's it's even for for the Dolphins. It's not even like a normal rookie contract in the top ten. It's it's even cheaper because the Cardinals have already ate all of that signing bonus. And and so yeah, it's it's incredibly good deal for the Dolphins. And honestly, at this point, if they give him a look and he really isn't what they want long term, there's no downside to them just letting him walk, let you know, cutting him for no uh, no future hit on their cap and and uh, and eating that and. If they still tank for Tua, they can still draft Tua. So it's it's kind of a it's a no brainer for the Dolphins, and they I think they they're they've got to be one of the biggest winners from this draft just because of that. Yeah, it's not a very common situation at all that one of the top regarded quarterbacks, and he was the top quarterback on my board last year, becomes available just because somebody pivots one year later. That's I can't think of another time that that's happened. Um, a couple of years later, I mean, Cutler wasn't in Denver very long. It's it's happened before after two or three years, but after one year with that much talent. And Rosen played pretty well in what was a terrible situation in Arizona. And if the Dolphins put some talent around him, they now I'm not going to say that they're going to knock Tom Brady and the Patriots off because the Patriots are doing Patriots things again during the draft. And, you know, Bill Belichick's still the coach. So as long as that doesn't change, I don't think the don't think the Dolphins are going to make a run at the division title this year, but they're certainly going to be a lot more competitive than they were without Rosen. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, even if they even if they tank uh, because they have put nothing around him, they, they still are in a better position than they were before this, and they, they couldn't have gotten that out of a late second-round pick. So, Well, let me go to the other side of it and get, get your opinion on what the Giants did. They took Daniel Jones, quarterback out of Duke, at number six overall. Um, what what the heck? <laughs> What's Dave Gettleman doing? I mean, I, know, I think I've asked that question three times on this podcast, but – what what's he seeing here? What's he doing here? Taking taking Jones at six over Haskins and obviously foregoing the the draft class last year by taking Saquon Barkley and passing up on guys like Sam Darnold. Um, is this really the uh, the right plan? How many years is Eli going to stick around uh, over Daniel Jones? I mean, was that was that the idea? Was to draft somebody that Eli could feel good about beating out in camp? I don't know. I I think if that's your idea at six overall that. You're you're already lost. Um, I've I've said a lot of things about Dave Gettleman on Twitter. Um, I continue to say them. I think Gettleman's kind of drunk at the wheel, driving over the mailboxes in the neighborhood, is what I put. You know, waving at everybody, and I don't see any evidence that he's smarter than everybody else in the room. He thinks he is. Um, I don't know. Did you hear about his press conference after they drafted Daniel Jones? Yeah, the very nihilistic comments that he made, basically saying like, yeah. "Hey, we're all going to die," you know. Like, or something yeah, I like could that. walk out, get in my car, and get hit. Like none of this matters. I, I'm just not. That's not what you want your GM saying. Like I'm just tossing around picks because none of this matters, anyways. It's just a terrible, terrible look. I don't think Daniel Jones is the guy. Now, in fairness to a young player who just got drafted and has worked hard to become a pro. I hope he does become a solid starter. I, you know, I don't think he's going to tear the league up, but I'm I'm very hesitant to say anybody in any of the new situations is going to be absolute trash. That just doesn't seem fair to a young player. Let's give him a chance. Now, 
do I think he's automatically a day one starter who displaces Eli Manning? No, I don't. And that's bad because Manning is at the end of his rope um, physically. He just doesn't have a lot left. And they keep stringing him along and saying, hey, we're going to surround him with talent. He's our quarterback. We're going to put him at the center. Daniel Jones is not in a great spot. They took him at six. It's not a great value. They probably could have taken him at 17. At 17, they end up picking up a nose tackle who's very much like Dalvin Tomlinson, who they already have on the roster. Gettleman is thoroughly confusing. I think he's he's really driving the bus, you know, right into the flames for the New York Giants fans, unfortunately. And that's that's rough. It's a rabid fan base. You know, one of the one of the all-time great franchises in the NFL, and he looks just asleep at the wheel it doesn't look like he's got a great plan yeah it'd be fun to find out that he was like a a dallas cowboys fan and he was just he's he took this job just to sabotage the team because i can't really figure it out otherwise yeah it doesn't Uh, make a lot of sense absent of something like that he's got very strong opinions about like defensive backs he ran josh norman out of carolina and said look you're not bigger than the team he loves his hog mollies he loves his offensive linemen and his big defensive linemen but you can't just collect those things absent of any other plan or balance and expect your team to do really well you might have a decent collection of those players but as we all know a team is not a decent collection of players it's a it's a balanced group that you know meets the needs in your division and hopefully propels you to that title so you can get into the playoffs. Yeah. And let's not forget, he also traded away snacks Harrison last year, uh, to Detroit, right? Or last year. Yep. Sure did. Yeah. So, and then you go in the first round and take a, take a D tackle. Yeah. Somebody said on Twitter, um, might've been Trevor Sikama who, who writes for the draft network. And he said, Dave Gettleman traded away OBJ and drafted Daniel Jones at number six in the same year. He just put a period (laughs) on it and just left it right there. And it's, yeah, when you look at it that way, it, wow. Yeah. Those seem like firing offenses kind of independently. And when you combine them, it's, I don't know if he has naked pictures of giant giants ownership or something, but um, there doesn't seem to be another good reason that he's employed um, again in one of the premier franchises in the NFL. All right. Well, let's, let's move over to the other coast. And I I just wanted to touch on the Raiders real quick. They had three first rounders, including the bears uh, original first rounder that we traded them for Khalil Mack. And with that pick, number 24, the Raiders took Josh Jacobs running back out of Alabama. So interesting use of the Bears pick, trading away the hardest thing to find, one of the hardest things to find, a a dominant edge rusher, and drafting the most fungible position, running back. Yep, that is an odd take. And what the Raiders did in the first round, A lot of people are bashing, and I know a lot of Raiders fans and Raiders watchers are very confused uh, because they drafted two two positions that aren't thought of as as massive impacts, running back and safety. Uh, They picked an edge rusher, which is thought of a major impact as a major impact position at number four, but not the edge rusher that people were looking for. They went out and got Cleland Furl from Clemson. Now, if you look at their draft in total, they added talent to their team, and um, Mike Mayock in his first draft as a GM kind of went chalk, right? He took a guy in Furl that if had if he'd left last year from Clemson, he would have been a top ten pick for sure. He stays in school and wins a national championship. Hard to fault the guy for that. 
is he a value at number four? No, but he's a very solid player. Definitely a first-round pass rusher. Josh Jacobs was the top running back in the draft. Pretty much consensus. He gets him as well. And then Jonathan Abram was my number two safety on the board. And a great all-around player that will absolutely set a very Raiders-like tone in their secondary. He's a big hitter, alpha guy. Um, he's back there with Carl Joseph now, who is another player that I really liked out of West Virginia. So overall, the Raiders improved, but I, I just think Raiders fans wanted more. There was so much talk about bundling those picks or moving up that they feel like they're lacking a little flash. When you actually look at their haul, it's pretty darn good. Ferrell, Jacobs, and Abram are three really good players to pull out of one round of a draft. And look, the Raiders need a talent infusion, so that's that's needed. But, you know, they just, I think so many people were thinking they were going to trade up and get Murray or do something really nutty like that but if you look at that and what they've added sort of in in trade with antonio brown and you know the raiders are an improved team so it's just kind of a perception difference i think yeah i'm not sure that some of the pieces that they added and the, their wide receiver core over the offseason really match with what Derek carr can do but that's a different story altogether um i do i actually really like those those uh, clemson defensive linemen and so even though yeah maybe they went a few spots higher than what a lot of people had them going to eh, who cares i mean they're, they're good players and the guy they got looks like he's a legit uh you know defensive lineman for them so so yeah i don't mind that i do think it's interesting that the, the bears pick they they took a running back and certainly we did a lot of work on running backs we're going to get to that here in a little bit but uh just just find it interesting and it'll be something to watch and track those careers such a big trade you know all the players that are going to come out of that trade are going to be interesting to track and see how that that all falls together um i wanted to talk a little bit about the NFC North, the other teams in the NFC North, and just we don't have to go into any great detail on what what they did, but did anything stick out for the Vikings, the Lions, or the Packers that uh, impressed you or kind of left you scratching your head? The Packers look like out of the three teams, unfortunately, they probably had the best draft. That always pains me. Um, I felt pretty good as a Bears fan about their first pick, Rashawn Gary at twelve. He reminds me very much of Shaq Lawson coming out of, um, again, Shaq Lawson, I think, was a Clemson yep. guy. Went to Buffalo, had a shoulder tear, never really hit it. Well, it has been it got revealed that Rashawn Gary has a labrum tear. About two weeks ago, he's probably going to have to play his rookie season with a brace on. For me, that's, that's a huge risk to take at 12. Um, so I was kind of half happy with that. And then, of course, they jump up, take Darnell Savage. And Darnell Savage, one of my favorite players in the draft, uh, a very speedy center field type safety who can run, who can hit, diagnosis plays very well. We talked to him a lot about on Bears Bears Over Beers. So I was sad to see that. And then they come back with their round two pick, number 12, and get Elshon Jenkins, who's probably the second best center in the draft. Follow that up with a round three pick of Jay Sternberger, who is one of my top tight ends. And on down the line, it doesn't much matter after that. That's four, well, three very good players right up near the top of the draft that will definitely improve their team. If Gary hits, it's going to be a bummer for Bears fans. It'll be great for those who live in Wisconsin and like green and gold. But I think they probably had the strongest draft out of the division. If you look at what the Lions did, they started off great. TJ Hawkinson, I'm sure that made you very happy. Well, it makes me happy that he went in the top 10, but uh, not necessarily to the Lions because I don't want to really yeah. cheer for him He's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be a problem. He's a two-way player for sure. Uh, he's going to be a tough cover. 
Uh, Will Harris, um, Boston College safety. Boston College has been turning out great defensive backs. Pick three, number 18. Pick two we need to talk about. I skipped pick two. Um, Jelani Tavai out of Hawaii was a guy that a lot of people were talking about as a good value in the fifth or sixth round. And in a classic Patriots-type move, Belichick-type move, Matt Patricia grabs this guy who he's just sold on and says, hey, we're going to do this. Don't think it's very fair to Tavai. Um and, you know, as a Bears fan, again, I was like, go ahead, waste your waste your second round pick or or spend without value. Let's put it that way, um, being fair to Jelani. But down the board, their fifth round pick, um, Amani, and I don't know how to say his last name, the cornerback from Penn State, uh, Oruwire. I'm sure I butchered We'll go that. with it. Um, great player. Um, I like him a lot. I thought he was a good possible down the board developmental corner uh for the bears played outside had a had a pretty good physical profile nothing wrong with him uh and then in round six they get ty johnson who's a little bit like the running back bears just drafted in kareth white very fast very small um has good burst he's almost like justice hill light we talked about justice hill from oklahoma state but that's not a lot to come out of your draft with uh you know a very great a very good tight end in round one a decent safety in round three um, they did get Austin Bryant, one of the, the sort of fourth horsemen on the Clemson defensive line who gets forgotten a little bit, but probably be a good player for him again in that Patriots model. Uh, you know, a fifth-round corner who could develop and be a running mate for Slay, okay. And then Ty Johnson's just kind of a hope he hits guy in the sixth. Not a, not a great draft. That's not a draft that makes me sort of fear anything that they did. Um, moving on to the Vikings, again, they started really well. They got the best center in the draft, Garrett Bradbury, North Carolina guy. Went to Irv Smith, the tight end from Alabama, who I'm not terribly impressed with. Round three, Alexander Madison, running back Boise State. A little bit early, I think, for Madison. Good player, but um, not not my favorite and certainly didn't seem like a value in three. Plus, you know, the Vikings have running backs. They've they've got Rock Thomas, got Dalvin Cook. Um, it, was a, it was a bit of an odd choice for me. Round four, they come back to the offensive line. Drew Samia, good guard out of Oklahoma. Cameron Smith, not wild about him, linebacker USC. Then Armand Watts, the defensive tackle from from Arkansas. Good player, but, you, you know, we're down into the sixth now. If those guys hit, it's great. Everybody else they picked. They ended up picking up Chris Boyd, another defensive back from Texas, who I really didn't like in the seventh. Um, they're not done. They got a, whoa, they got three more seventh-round picks. I thought they only had two more. But, again, those are seventh-round picks. Very unlikely to hit. You're really looking at the, the top of the draft and saying, what did they do? And, again, Bradbury, awesome. Irv Smith as a tight end, kind of okay. Madison could be okay. Drew Samia, good guard. That's pretty much it. That's what they got. And, you know, again, not a draft that's going to make me fear the Vikings a lot. And we should mention, for those of you listening, we're actually recording during the seventh round. And so the Bears are two picks away from uh, being, or one pick away from being on the clock and two from being revealed who their last pick is. So, uh, So we are actually doing this very much a live reaction time for the last pick. But yeah, I I think I tend to agree with you that definitely the Packers had some interesting choices and they've certainly stockpiled on their defense a lot, which give them credit. They're not just doing a you know, so let's stack the offense and, and uh, let the defense, uh, you know, just not, you know, invest anything on the defense and let Aaron Rodgers score 50 points every game. They're, you know, they, they've really taken a lot of capital and put it in their secondary. And, and you know, that's that's probably good in the modern modern NFL. I hate to admit it, but, yeah, yeah, they, they probably did a good job by uh, getting Savage to pair with Amos. And they don't have to 
stress Amos too much with that. Um, Sternberger, that probably was a, a real twist of the knife to you uh, after you were talking him up in the last episode. I, I didn't like that very much. I, I put on Twitter that I will that I will root for Darnell Savage and Jay Sternberger for about 14 weeks a year, except when they play the Bears. They're both great players. I you know I hope they have good careers. They absolutely would have been great fits with the Bears. And then the other thing that uh, that the Vikings or not the Vikings that the Packers continue to do is grab those late round running backs who are good. They got Aaron Jones a couple of years go from utep he was my top sleeper they got him as a udfa he's very capable um they grabbed uh i want to say jamal williams from byu a couple of years ago they, this year they grabbed dexter williams from notre dame who had some real flashes they just kind of feed that pipeline of running backs they always have three or four running backs there it seems like they're always drafted sort of from the fifth round on down or udfas and they're always grabbing quality guys who who can give them something, and they just keep pumping them through, and it and it works for them. They don't um, overinvest in the position, and they've they've sort of kept that tradition going this year. The only other thing I'll say is, uh, well, I guess the Vikings got some offensive line help. They obviously need that really bad, and yep. drafting a linebacker from Hawaii, putting him in the NFC North, I think is particularly cruel, but. Um, Hopefully. Ah, he plays in a dome. Well, yeah, but he's got to play outside uh, in the NFC North, and just he's got to live there. He's got to live in Detroit. Uh, he I does mean, have to live there. That is particularly <laughs> cruel. I will go with you there. Uh, that's rough. All right, well, let's get to the Bears draft. Uh, the first pick for the Bears this year was a trade up uh, to early in the third round to grab David Montgomery, the Iowa State running back. And I just want to run through this real quick. Traded for the Patriot with the Patriots. Uh, Bears traded number 87, number 162, and a fourth rounder in next year's draft so that they could move up 14 spots to number 73. They also got pick 205 back in return. Our colleague Josh Sunderbrutch uh, ran some numbers on the different charts that are out there. Pretty much said it's a fair value trade or depending on if you use the old Jimmy Johnson trade chart, which everybody believes is pretty much defunct. But if you use that one, it, it was a little bit advantageous to the Bears. So the trade itself uh, pencils out to a decent trade in terms of, of pick value. Um, what did you think of the trade? Let's start there. What did you think of trading up to get a running back? I don't agree with trading up to get a running back and I don't want anybody to get it twisted. So let's just start at the top. David Montgomery is a very, very talented player and I think he will produce as a Chicago bear. Let's just lead with that. He's got a great line in front of him. He's a very good running back. We didn't even profile him on bears over beers because we were pretty sure he was going to be gone in the first two rounds. He was in our minds, one of the top three running backs available. So this is not, I hate David Montgomery. A lot of people are going to heap on and say that. I want to sort of get right out in front of that and say, nope, that's not the case. Montgomery's a great player. Trading up for a running back is just not something I believe in. If you followed my work in the lead-up to this draft and my talk about Dave Gettleman in the last draft, I just don't believe in picking running backs very high at all. It's a fungible position. You can get them later on. Um, you can get them as UDFAs. You can stack a bunch of them. They have short lifespans. Generally, they don't affect the offense in the same way that a great quarterback or a great wide receiver can when you stack up the sort of um, 
their effect and their explosive plays. You're you're more into the analytics than I am, but when you stack them up, it's very hard for teams with basically teams that stack great running backs are probably not going to the Super Bowl, right? Certainly not to pay them. <laughs> right. So, you know, Montgomery, good player, giving up assets in a sort of asset low year to go get him, I was confused by because I thought there were players that were 85, 90% of his value or would make 85 or 90% of the contribution he would that you could get by either staying put or even trading back or waiting until the fourth round. That turned out to be true if you look at who was available, uh, certainly at what the Bears pick would have been um, in the third at 87 or even the next pick in the fourth. So the trade-up, I'm not wild about. The player... I think he's going to produce. I think he has many solid traits that Nagy really wants. Everybody, the, the big question is, can he catch? I think there's evidence he can catch, but he didn't have to do it a lot at Iowa State. So the answer is, we really don't know when the lights come on. Um, hopefully the Bears do. Hopefully they worked him out and they're completely happy with his hands and his ability to adjust to the ball. I would imagine they did. But I'm looking at a guy like Alex Barnes from Kansas State, who I don't know if he's still on the board or not. I'll take a quick check now that we're in the set. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Yes. Oh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. The Bears just made their final seventh round pick, (laughs) and he was my sleeper from Valdosta State, Stephen Denmark, 6'2 220 pounds, ran a 4'4'6 for a little Division II school at uh, Valdosta State. They played him at corner. Everybody had him listed at safety. They have him listed at corner on NFL.com. Um, yeah, he's a lot of fun. We're going to talk about him. That's a that's a tremendous little bit of celebration. So really, uh, for everybody who says that I got the Montgomery pick wrong, I nailed the seventh round. I got Kareth White and Steven Denmark. So there you go. Um, I guess Pace can hire me to be a, a down the board scout. Why would he hire you? But get the get the coverage for free. If you can get it for free, right? Yeah, exactly. I'll have to put it behind a paywall. Um, anyways, that's that's fun. That's great news. That's why the draft is intriguing. But you know, Montgomery's going to be a great player. But I'm looking at a guy like Alex Barnes from Kansas State, who I kind of came to late in the process. I'd heard his name earlier in the process, but I didn't get to watching his tape. Big guy, good feet, very good at sort of slipping between the tackles. Not a ton of great long speed just like Montgomery uh, but does very well in that sort of inside game now I don't know anything about Alex Barnes catching the football but is Alex Barnes 80 or 85 percent of David Montgomery I think he is and Alex Barnes as far as I know I'm going to take a quick look um, I believe he's still available and that's the question in team building is how much resource do you want to put towards a spot if you can get it another way and running back is just one of those spots that's very difficult to justify going up high or trading a bunch of picks to go get um yeah alex barnes still available we're we're nearing the end of the seventh round he's going to be an undrafted free agent and uh, most likely going to be an undrafted free agent and you know would he have given you say 80 percent of david montgomery absolutely and you could use those picks on something else so that's that's where i stand on it well, and I'm trying to I'm trying to think of this from. Oh, I want to put some positive light on this too, because on the one hand, I think we both like the player, and again, we didn't cover him because we thought he'd be gone. And so I was trying to think of this. Let's hypothetically say that the Bears had the full complement of picks, 
they have the same roster. So, I mean, just, it's hypothetical, like same, same roster. We still have Anthony Miller. We still have Clomac, but we have a, a first round, second round, third round pick, right? We have all that. And we came in mm-hmm. with these needs and Ryan Pace used second round pick 24 to get David Montgomery. You, I mean, you might be like, well, I don't love having a running back second round because I think that I like some of the guys later, but yeah, I can understand it. So the the pick in terms of where he fell in the draft overall was a pretty good value because we didn't think he'd be there in the third round. But the fact that the Bears didn't have those resources and we're trying to manage to see, well, can we get a player that we think can take some positive snaps this year and get a running back that can do a lot and mix in with that other group that we have with Mike Davis, with Tariq Cohen. You know, and, that, and that's why we spent so much time talking about you know, 16 running backs plus a couple extras at the end. Uh, that's why we spent so much time on that is because that, that's where we, we thought that the value of this draft was, was in the depth of the running back position. So, t- so taking Montgomery in and of itself is not a bad uh, idea, and it's certainly not bad where you got him, but you had to give up additional resources. So there's an opportunity cost associated with that, and that's somewhat tough to swallow for for a lot of us because we we see some depth needs down down the down the uh, depth chart. But overall, I think we're going to really like this guy. The what I've been reading early, and again, you you, you know he may not have had to catch the ball in the backfield much at Iowa State. But there's a lot of people around the building, apparently, that think he he has the best hands on the team. And that's on a team with Hakeem Butler, who was a fourth-round draft pick, which was a surprise. Hakeem Butler's big knock was hands. So So he's a big body, but, you know, dropped the ball. But um, so, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Interesting, just a couple notes I wrote down. Uh, Devin Singletary was taken the pick directly after. Mm-hmm. Montgomery, and so there's probably a pretty good sense the pace had that a, that Montgomery might have been going there, and the pa- Patriots who used used that pick that they got from us, and they took Damian Harris, a running back. Yep. So pretty interesting there. Um, do you think that pace potentially had maybe Miles Sanders in this group, Miles Sanders and, and Daryl Henderson, and and David Montgomery, and kind of a uh, you know, a, a group of three, a cloud uh, or yeah, a bubble, however yeah. you want to view it. And once uh, Henderson went, he got on the phone to try to move up to snag Montgomery before what he maybe saw as the value tiers fall. Yeah, that's actually, actually, absolutely the exact tweet that I put on Twitter last night was, I, I think that's exactly the case. Sanders, Montgomery and Henderson. Uh, I'm not going to, suppose the order that he had them in but he had them ranked as this sort of 1a group and something you said um on our last pod was that you know and in our predictions pod and hey we should talk about that because you said they'd draft two running backs and sure enough they have now drafted two running backs so congratulations on nailing that one but something you said when we were talking about that was they've done so much work on running backs that Pace is just going to have it in his head and he's not really going to be able to get out of thinking about it or letting it go. He needs to get one, and I think that's true. They had Sanders. He went early. They had Henderson. Henderson went about four picks before the Bears, I think. Yeah, something like that. And as soon as Henderson went, they went, well, Montgomery's the last one. We're going to go get him. And they probably called all the teams in order. 
and said, can we get him here? And they said, no, we've got a guy we want, or, you know, the price is too high. Great, go to the next team. That's how it works. They're down to the next team. Hey, we want this pick. Can we get it? Can we buy it from you? Eh, yes, no, maybe. All right, and they got to the, the Patriots, which is not surprising because the Bears and the Patriots have done a lot of business before. And apparently Bill Belichick, probably in surprise to no one, is very matter-of-fact right to the point about what do you want, what do you give me. There, there's no small talk. Um, and, you know, Ryan Payson, he probably get along that way. And they said, great, we'll give you this. I imagine Bill pushed the price up because, as you said, Patriots were eventually drafting a running back. But they said, hey, we're fine with sliding down and getting our second guy. You really want your first guy. We're, we're going to take a price out of you. And they did. I don't think it's unfair, like Josh said. He said that's a, basically a fair trade. But that absolutely feels to me exactly the way this played out is... Henderson went and they said, we can't be without one. They got on the phone and said, doesn't matter what it costs, we're going to do this. And I take issue with that approach. Again, don't take issue with the player, but they thought that there was a significant drop off there and they paid the price to avoid that. We'll see if they're right. Uh, Again, I fully expect Montgomery to produce behind the Bears line. If he doesn't, there's something very, very wrong because he he showed great skill in college. He's got a a very solid run-blocking line in front of him now. I expect he's going to put up yards. But what, again, as you said, is the opportunity cost they gave up to do that. And I'll mention just a couple more things. One is, and I don't know if, if Jack, our colleague Jack's overseeing, if he's the one that actually coined this. I think Lester mentioned that last night in his rapid reaction pod, but he's calling the the backfield run DMC D for Davis M yeah. for Montgomery. Yeah, I've C seen for Cohen. it. Uh, love it. Like that's amazing. Um, uh, we're we're going to have to use that. And uh, you know, Lance Zerline, NFL.com. You know, there's a lot of scouts out there. Zerline puts comps on his players. I think he probably is forced to. I don't think he likes to do it. Um, and the comp that he put is Kareem Hunt. And we don't know if that's Kareem Hunt no. after he got in the Kansas City system and flourished or Kareem Hunt coming out of college. Uh, you know, it's it's not descriptive that way. But that's what everybody saw early in the draft process and said, well, that's obviously the guy. And it was. And so, interestingly enough, that – I heard a lot of buzz for people saying, hey, we're going to trade up and get David Montgomery. It's not crazy. I sent you a text and said, if we're going to trade up, I think it is probably yes, for Montgomery. Did. And and so that that is what happened. Um, sometimes the the thing that's kind of obvious ends up happening. And and that's that's what happened. That's not necessarily how you or I would have played it had we been GMs. I think we liked enough of the guys further down. But, hey, again, he's going to be a good player for us. And that's great. Um I don't really have anything more on him. Um, you want to get to the other four guys that are now Chicago Bears? Absolutely. Um, by the way, one of the things that makes this just great, this day great, this process great, is there's new Chicago Bears. <laughs> there's not that many days that you can say that. You know, certainly there's the day they you know offer a couple contracts to the UDFA guys or the or the rookie tryout camp or you know, cuts from other teams. There's a few days throughout the year, generally, where there are a bunch of new Chicago Bears, and this is the big one. Um, this is by far, in terms of volume, the biggest one. So it's 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 a super cool day to see these guys who've worked so hard achieve their goal, end up playing for one of the founding franchises. You know, I wish them all success. Are they all going to succeed? Absolutely not. 
on average, about 30% of these guys are going to hit. If you go back and look at every draft from the past, you can cross off all the guys that we all thought, oh, that'd be great. And it didn't work out. But Montgomery's a great pick to start off with. Everybody said they were going to get running back. They obviously believed strongly they needed to do that. They prioritized it. They paid for it. Terrific. As we got down towards the fourth round, pick 24, um, I said the value that was really on the board was wide receiver. That's not a need for the Bears, but I said, look, if Pace really wants to go value, and he can, he's set the roster up that way, he can absolutely pick for this year or even next year's attrition, the value here is in wide receiver. And sure enough, uh, Riley Ridley was a guy that I talked about out of Georgia. He's actually the guy whose last name I forgot on our last pod when we were talking about Joan Williams. And I said, I forgot oh, Riley's okay. last name. It's Riley Ridley. That's he and me, Cole Hardman were running mates at Georgia. And they're the guys that ate Joan Williams lunch um, in the Georgia versus Vanderbilt game. Riley Ridley, very good route runner, um, just about six foot, um, either just under, just over 200 pounds. Not a speedster, but a very good technician. And that's how he ate Joan Williams' lunch in that game was he has a tremendously quick burst turn on his cut and hook routes. Um, turning back to the quarterback, he gets open. Uh, he's also, strangely enough, a very good jump ball receiver in the end zone because of his body control. Knows how to use leverage, so he's not a huge guy. He's not one of those 6'4", 220 guys, but he has a lot of success on fade routes to the end zone because he knows how to adjust to catch a poorly thrown ball. Does it all the time. So Ridley, a good value pick, and really sort of stacks the Bears wide receiver core in a way that we haven't seen. They have a good group of young receivers. I posted them all on Twitter in their ages. And when you go top to bottom, the Bears wide receiver core is now better than it's been starting off the season, at least on paper, in quite ever? a while. It's uh, maybe ever. I don't I don't know about ever. I'd have to look back. That's that's a big statement. Um maybe we could jack on that digging into the history, but it's really it's very solidly put together. They're young, they're talented um, there's a lot of guys that could hit on the sort of developmental core as well, or the specialist core guys that are returners that they've signed cause they're really fast. So wide receivers in a really good spot. Then we get the long gap, right? Because they traded the fifth round pick. They turned it into a sixth round pick, the pick from round four, 24, all the way down to round six, 33. And the bears throw a huge curveball. Uh, they pick a guy that wasn't even on the NFL.com board. Uh, a cornerback named Duke Shelley from Kansas State, who I will fully admit I had never seen one snap of, or at least hadn't paid attention to a snap of, because I did watch a defensive tackle from K-State. But he didn't he didn't turn me on. Turns out he had an injury, a toe injury. He'd been playing very well before that. He's about 5'9", in the 180 range, so it sounds like he'll be slot, but he played outside corner at Kansas State. And this sounds like a typical Bears road warrior win right you pick a guy that was playing very very well in a conference that's not necessarily known for defense and injury takes him off the pre-draft radar and you go out you gamble a low pick in the sixth and say if this guy turns into something it's a huge win so duke shelley cornerback kansas state probably going to move inside for the bears uh, and then we get to the seventh round, and this is this is money for me. This is great. I talked about both of these guys a couple of times, and I'm super excited about both of them. Again, seventh round picks, what's their hit rate? Very low. Are they going to turn into great bears? We have no idea, but they're both very exciting players. Round seven, pick eight, number 222 overall. Kirith White from 
Florida Atlantic, one of Devin Singletary's um, sort of three-headed back approach at Florida Atlantic. He was one of that trio down there for Lane Kiffin, and and he was so fast. A, a Twitter user who I'm going to have to go back and look up about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago, turned me on to this guy and said, have you looked at this guy? I didn't even know he was draft eligible. I'd already watched Singletary, but I said no, and so I went back, and there's not a ton of tape on him because he was splitting carries with a very talented backfield, but he also got used on special teams, and what you see in the tape is explosive speed. This is their budget version of Daryl Henderson. Mm. He's really, really fast. He ran the fastest 40 of any running back um, in the draft. Justice Hill was a 4-4 at the Combine. Kareth White, not invited to the Combine, ran a 4-3-6. You don't see a very refined game, but you do see that speed in pads. When he gets through the hole, forget it, he's gone. And the other really, really um, impressive or attractive thing about Kareth White's game is he has this uncanny and i know it's the the in term this year but contact balance his body looks like a pendulum that pivots on his hips so you see guys that come in and like destroy his legs like hit him square in the thigh with a shoulder pad and his body just kind of pivots in the middle and then resets it's the weirdest thing it's almost like if you've ever seen um a deer get hit by a car and then just keep running because they just kind of pivot in the middle of their body is some is the way somebody described it to me and I said actually that's that's kind of true he takes all these weird hits and just keeps sort of running through them that matched with his speed when he gets to the hole he's going to he's going to have some immediate impact on special teams and if you've got three or four plays a game for this year where you or three or four plays a game where you you put in a play like a jet sweep or maybe even a wildcat snap, who knows, get the ball in this guy's hands. He's explosive. Is he going to make the team this year? I don't know. They got a lot of depth at running back, but is he a great practice squad candidate to have around and see if you can develop his game for a year? Cause he's very young. I'm actually surprised he kind of came out uh, in the draft, but he's got a lot of talent. So Kareth white running back Florida Atlantic, and then we move on to round seven, pick 24, 238 overall. And this was my sleeper. This is Steven Denmark, the cornerback out of Valdosta State, 6'2 220. Uh, easily looks all of that on film. And what you want to see when you're watching low-end tape or, or uh, lower division tape is absolute domination. You want to see that player just sort of wrecking shop. And Denmark was all of that. Um, catching up to running backs from behind and throwing them down, just massacring tight ends off the line and completely mashing their routes, uh, blitzing and destroying people. He is a man among boys. He was just wrecking opponents. Now, how good were the opponents? You always have to say that. Probably not that great, but he dominated, and you can't ask a guy to do any more. So really excited he ended up on the Bears. This is a height, weight, speed guy. 6'2 220, ran a four four six. So, you know, that's the kind of guy you can toss on special teams and expect some results. Well, I kudos to you for pulling that one out. That is that's amazing. I mean, that's throwing a dart. I got whims last year, it, too. You know, and I want to I want to go back and I want to talk about that because whims out of Georgia, Roquan out of Georgia, Floyd out of Georgia and now Ridley out of Georgia. That's Clearly right. We got a pipeline going uh, from yep. Chicago down to down to Athens. And I want to ask you a little bit about where you think. Ridley fits in and what that does to juice whims because uh, do we carry seven guys? It'll be really interesting. I'm all for competition. 
living here in the Pacific Northwest, one of the, the truest things that the Seahawks do is preach absolute competition at every spot every day. And that's lip service from probably every coach in the country, but we all know that it's not reality. Um, in the Seahawks organization, it really is. You see a lot of undrafted guys come up in that organization and contribute. And I'm all for having a position position group that's loaded and coming into it and saying, hey, guys, guess what? There's, there's nine bodies here. There's ten bodies here. We're going to carry six. You've got to be one of the top, let's just say five guys, because you don't want to be the sixth guy, that rotational guy that gets, right. you know, unsigned so that they can sign an emergency punter. Like, come on, show up every day. Bring your A game, compete. So in terms of where they all fit, it's really fascinating because you're looking at body types, you're looking at ability. Wims is a little bit bigger than Ridley. Um, I'd say he's a little bit stronger than Ridley. He's not as good a route runner. He might be a better jump ball receiver, but again, we said Ridley's a really good jump ball receiver. So do they overlap? I think they do a little bit. Um, then you've got Taylor Gabriel, who's on a sort of bigger than his skills contract, I think. I like Gabriel as a player, and he absolutely brings something to the team. Don't want to don't wanna get rid of him, but will he be here after, you know, 2019 mm. into 2020? I don't know. Um, Anthony Miller, I think we all think is around for the long term. But again, if you're preaching true competition and, and Riley Ridley turns out to be, you know, fantastic, much like Miller did last year in camp, do you keep him off the field just because there's a bigger name like Gabriel in front of him? I, I don't think you do. If Wims turns out to be an incredible boundary receiver, do you line him and Robinson up on the outside and then pick the best slot guy, presumably Miller? Um, of course, it's great to have those options. So the stack is going to be really interesting to watch which roles they sort of train them for or run them at in camp and which guys have success because there's a bunch of guys. And there's even guys that we're not talking about that are down the board. And Pace has said he's going to bring in 18 to 20 UDFAs. There's, you think there's going to be a receiver in there? I bet there is. And I have no idea who it is, but... You know, there's going to be even more competition, and I'm I'm all about that. Put a couple on the practice squad, put the best five or six guys out there on the roster, and and go for it. Just shred the NFC North. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and I, I really do think it's the most talented group of receivers that I can remember. And I, I mean, how far back do we really need to go to prove that out? I mean, it's worth reaching out to Jack, but I mean, do we need to go back to Harlan Hill and. And talk about him. I mean, what are we talking about here? Because I mean, just depth, yeah. though, like from one to six or one to seven, whatever it's going to be, yeah. it's pretty impressive. In terms of all the way down the board, it's really impressive. And and somebody in response to my tweet on Twitter put up, you know, here's what it was four years ago. No, oh. and it was like, oh, yeah, throwing a kick. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, look at this. Look at the spread. Look at the difference. And that is a credit to Ryan Pace, his scouts, and and the organization as a whole, saying. When I came in, this was clearly not a strength. And now, you know, we're looking at eventually, you know, might we trade a guy like Taylor Gabriel? Because, you know, a guy like Riley Ridley's coming on and he's young, cheap talent. Again, fourth round pick. You're not paying him anything. If that guy's performing just about as well as a guy like Taylor Gabriel, now they're not exactly the same kind of player. But just for instance, do you move Taylor Gabriel save the salary, get something back for him, maybe build those picks back up next year and still have, you know, your five or six best receivers on the field. Yeah, it's it's going to be exciting and with the running back talent now adding in that Kareth White, which do you do you see him as maybe someone who can 
mimic uh, Tariq Cohen a little bit, or is that maybe a little beyond? It'll all depend on his special teams. His overall game as a runner in terms of vision, choice, patience, um, all that stuff really needs some tweaking. Yeah. He's Again, he's, he's early, he's raw as a player, but his physical skills are incredible. And where that's going to show up, raw physical skills are going to show up on special teams. Right, your ability to get through a hole and and pop eighty five yards for a kick return or punt return that's right. that's where those are going to show up. So, is he going to make the squad as a like a fourth or slash fifth running back? I don't know that he'll do that this year. He might depends on how fast he develops, but he's more of a practice squad candidate. Or if he makes the roster, it's really because of his special teams ability, and that is special and that's the other thing is we've got a couple of guys now in the wide receiver core we add Kareth White to that who have real speed and are sort of return specialists that'll be a really interesting competition well Pace likes to attack those deficiencies and have some redundancies so we've definitely seen the other hammer drop on that with Cordell Patterson and um you know we, we've got plenty of returners now there's no there's no shortage whereas we were just trying anybody back there last year um yep. Well, real quick, you mentioned I did get the two running back, drafting two running backs predictions correct. That's probably the biggest thing that I got. Um, We both said there wouldn't be a kicker drafted, and there was not. I think uh, the Tampa Bay uh, did us a favor, did you and me a favor, I guess, by drafting the (laughs) top-rated kicker in the fifth round or something like that, Uh, or else maybe they would have been tempted in one of those last picks. Um, We both said that pace would not dip into the 2020 capital technically he did he, he had the fourth he <laughs> used the fourth to move yep. up i think and i'll and i'll take the loss on that but i definitely was more thinking about the premium capital of the second and the third rounder but you know that that's fine sure. um i can't remember any of the other calls um right off from predictions i'm not remembering them either well, and i doubt any of the listeners will because we had no comments on that article yeah we know that. <laughs> we've had a lot of content on on wcg lately but i went into sort of answer comments which i do occasionally last night i clicked it and there was no comments and i was like come on guys but tons of content i fully understand um appreciate you guys out there consuming it all um we're pumping more at you this is just part of it but feels really good to have uh, come up with uh, some nuggets down the board, maybe educated you guys throughout this process, um, talked about a bunch of players that you'll be familiar with now that are throughout the rest of the league. Maybe you come across them in your fantasy league. Maybe they're in the division. You never know. So that's that's why I love the draft is it's sort of my base or my entry into the league and helps me understand everything else that goes on from scheme to coaching to fit to you know player value. All that's coming into play. It's really fun to see it sort of uh, be on the table and and have all the teams. All the teams are hopeful right now. Everybody's better, right? Everybody got new players. Uh, So it's a great time of year. I really appreciate that. Well, and on the pod in the next couple weeks, we'll try to come back with some deeper dives into the players that we added. And I'm going to try to reach out to some of the college sites and see if we can't try to find uh, someone from those sites to come on and talk about, particularly talk about Montgomery and see if we can reach out to the Georgia site as well and talk about those guys. Um, I don't know if Valdosta State has a site. um, so (laughs) I don't know if they do either, but we'll just try to find the matchstick man and and, and get him him on. Um, uh, But on the site, what are you doing here now with UDFAs and into the next couple of weeks uh, with, with that work? 
Yeah, so um, Lester Wilfong, our, our stalwart editor, is putting up the UDFA uh, article shell as we speak. Should be uh, live pretty much as soon as round seven ends. I just checked with him on that on text. We're about to finish out the seventh round here. Uh, I'll be adding to that. He's got me on that as a co-contributor, so we'll all be putting in the tips and hearing. Um, it's a bit of a Wild West process. Sometimes it turns out to be... Not verified, but we'll be putting up what we hear on the page. So be checking into that to see who the Bears are adding. Again, Ryan Pace has said he's going to bring in probably more UDFAs than he ever has to compete. 18 to 20 was the number I heard. Super excited about that. We'll be tracking that all the way through tomorrow night. Uh, the rest of the week, it's just solidification. The Bears have been very slow in signing those people over the past couple of years. So could be as long as a week until it's actually final, but we'll pretty much have a decent idea by tomorrow night, Sunday night, um, as to who the UDFAs are that the Bears and really the rest of the division has added. So look for that work on WCG. As soon as we have a fairly solid idea of that, I'll start digging into the film. Uh, I'll be putting up stuff on Twitter for sure, so follow me there, at the Draftsman FB. Uh, you can follow our pod at at bears over beers and of course you can always follow jeff at at gridironborn but all that work's going to be coming up um i'm also going to be on the radio again i was on with uh sean and maya in the morning a local chicago show this week sean wants to have me back and strangely enough he was a huge steven denmark fan so i imagine um oh yep he texted me (laughs) um he's super excited about that uh, I talked with Stephen Denmark about Robert Schmitz on his pod, also on the, the WCG podcast network. Uh, bear with me. So uh, that one was out there. He texted me as well. So phone's phone's a little warm right now with the Stephen Denmark news. But all that's going to be coming up on WCG. Um, Sean and Maya in the morning. You can look them up online uh, on Twitter. So we'll we'll keep this going. Oh, I forgot. I'm going to be on Aaron Lemming's pod uh, with Zach Pearson as well. Uh, I think that's Tuesday recording. So we'll have a bunch of stuff dropping over the next week. And uh, it's by no means over. It'll be really fun to sort of push this through to rookie minicamp uh, and see if they make any more offers there to any of those uh, undrafted free agents or, or local prospects that they pull in because there's always there's some great stories there. And I love the stories. Absolutely. Well, EJ, thanks for all your hard work on the draft and glad it's in the books and so that we can kind of dig into who we got and we can start getting closer to the season. Yep, we got new Bears. Uh, It's an exciting time of year again for all franchises, especially for Chicago. And uh, yeah, we'll keep with it. So keep listening. Keep giving us feedback on Twitter. Tell us what you want to hear about beers. Oh, yeah. How was your beer? Beer's good. I mean, it's a really good beer. I've had it, uh, you know, 25 times. It's, It's excellent. What about yours? Oh, um it's good it's a little bit on uh has a slight sort of grapefruit sort of tangy note to it but as a pale i like it because it's got some body it actually has some alcohol usually pales are a little bit lighter in alcohol but it's got a lot of flavor a little bit more towards that citrusy tangy side than i might like but a very quality offering um can't recommend full sale enough um full range of beers from them great great brewery so i'm glad to have glad to have broken the seal on that Great. All right, guys. Well, stay tuned with us and we'll uh, we'll be back at you before you know it.